from Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller plays. Welcome to All on the Podcast, a weekly rewatch podcast of the classic 1970s Norman Lear sitcom All on the Family, hosted by Gus Costantelis and me, Alex Hajar. This is so much fun. Yeah, it's been decided. I've colonized half of this space. <laughs> That's, I mean, we do it in your apartment, so it's perfect. I have I have nowhere to live. I live in a box outside. I live in the micro... On a milk crate, like, <laughs> fighting squirrels for shelter in a tree hollow in Central but Park. Just my All in the Family DVDs, and I live <laughs> exactly. in the microphone boxes well, that it's I put like, the microphones in. Yeah, well, it's like one of those icebreaker questions that they ask you at every orientation. Like, if you are on a desert island for the rest of your life and you can only bring three things, like, you would bring your All in the Family box set... Yes, Your I would. Your laptop and... Uh, my dildo. Okay, I, I was, I was, I, yeah, I was, my I was dildo. say the exact same thing. But <laughs> what I would you sure, bring? What would I your wasn't sure, top I wasn't sure three? if I could cross the line. Oh, what would I bring? Uh, I don't know. You're kind of throwing me on the spot here. Well, definitely your Roseanne DVDs. Yes, my Roseanne DVDs for sure. Um, I think I would bring... Actually, I don't know. You're going to have to edit this out because I have nothing interesting or witty to oh, say. Oh, no, I'm not editing this out. This is the opening. Okay. Get ready. This, <laughs> this, is will, this will be like our new theme song. This will be our new intro. <laughs> what three things did you bring in a desert <laughs> island? So this week we're talking about episode nine of the show, which is Edith has jury duty. So the IMDb thing for it is it's kind of long. It's Edith goes on jury duty for a murder trial. Archie's very unhappy at her not being at home. She alone thinks that the accused is not guilty, making the trial last longer. It turns out that she is correct when the person who actually committed the crime confessed to it. I'm like, I what the fuck, IMDb? Yeah, well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a lot. That's extra. Usually it's just like one sentence of like, this is what happens and cool. Yeah. No. So, well, right before this episode, I mentioned to Gus that Gene Stapleton reportedly did not like playing Edith Bunker. Wow. Um, and she didn't... Uh, this Okay, this is reportedly, so I, I don't know if you can quote me on this, but she reportedly did not like playing Edith Bunker. Um, she resented the role. She didn't like the character. And if you watch interviews with her, you'll notice that her voice is a lot deeper. Right. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's definitely like an she's affectation. A lot, yeah. She's a lot more irritable. Yeah, we were and, just watching an interview with her, and she was just like, yeah, so like, I did this show... And it was cool. Like, she just did not give well, a fuck. Well, when the series ended and they did Archie's Place, the spinoff, she wanted nothing to do with it. Yes, that's then they kill her off. Yeah, they, they kill her Spoiler off. Spoiler alert, and, they kill her off at the she, end of the show. Sorry. Well, well, she was saying, she's like, well, I thought it was time to move on. So <laughs> she's like the complete antithesis of Edith Bunker, which I guess is a testament to... Right. Her, how she's incredible of an, an actress she, she is, yeah. To play someone who is the diametric opposite of you. She is the perfect American citizen, is what she is. She, oh, she really yeah. is. And I feel like that's so much of what this episode was about. Of her, yeah. She's like, she doesn't even want to talk about the trial because she's like, I'm not at liberty to say. I'm like, all right, bitch. Like, and she's so excited to be on jury duty. Right. The most dreadful. Right least popular I mean, experience, she, like she least walks popular in. American obligation. And she's so excited to do it. Um, I remember when I went to when I served on jury duty. All right, yes. Have you ever time. done? I have never done jury duty. Really? Right. I've never done jury duty. They've never asked me. They just don't want to know. They're like, we don't care what you have to think. I think they've listened to other podcasts I've done, and they're like, you know what? Too much. They I don't found out do your it. parents are immigrants, and yeah. they have nothing to no, do. With no, you. honestly, I'd have like plenty of reasons to get out of jury duty. Like, I wouldn't even have to lie. I'd just be like, yeah, like my parents are immigrants. 
I'm short. I have yeah. a lot against me. I have a lot against me. Well, I remember. How was it? Yeah. I terrible. It yeah, was, it's horrible. So, well, I actually I got summoned for jury duty as soon as I turned 21. And now usually, usually you can get out of jury duty by saying, "Well, I'm a college student, so I have to go back to college and you know wherever the fuck you go to school." But I went to Brooklyn College, number one, and they deliberately chose a date during winter intercession during like oh. the January that we're off. So I couldn't say no. I had to go. And it was horrible. It, I can't. I, I, I can't think of many worse experiences that I've had. But did you, you get picked this, to be on the jury? No. Okay. No. And I'll explain that in a second. But you sit in this giant room, and they have these little TVs from the 1980s that turn on, and they play you this propaganda 1984. I'm talking the novel, like yeah, not yeah. the actual year, like this 1984 video that says a lot of people consider jury duty a burden. But you shouldn't consider it a burden. You should consider it your honor and a privilege to serve your country. Oh. And yeah, so they do Choke that. Choke me, daddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> like, that's what I was, I was like, oh, okay. Basically, yeah, it's Mike Pence on the TV screen <laughs> telling us that it's an honor and a privilege Jesus. to serve our country. You know, and, Edith watched that video and was like, it is an honor. It is an honor. I know. She, your honor is an honor. clutching her pearls and like fanning herself and <laughs> realizing what an honor it is. But so it's horrible. So you sit in this giant room for, it's kind of like a nine to five day and you sit there yeah. in this giant room you wait for them to call your name and the problem is like even if you you can't fall asleep because if they call your name and you don't get up and go you are you get counted as absent or missing for the day and then you get into a shit ton of trouble so you have to stay awake the whole time um bring a book with you i brought like three books with me um yeah. bring some snacks with you and they finally summoned me into this windowless purgatory box of a room Oh. When, when I say windowless, and I mean like we were, we were, it was so crowded. We were pretty much sitting on each other's laps. And I had, you know, like, you know, I had a lawyer who was presenting the case to us without too many of the specifics. And then he, he asked like the most um, typical question of jury duty. He, he was like, he's like, so in order for this case to be unbiased and objective, we need to make sure that no one in this room has any preconceived beliefs or any biases that could prevent them from adjudicating properly. So he goes down the 12 of us, I guess, who were in the room asking each one of us if we have any prejudice against cab drivers. And yes. And well, the thing, okay. I mean, like, I mean the, well, that's like the, you know, that's like the first rule of jury duty is if you want to get out of it, you know, pretend that you're a racist, pretend that you're biased in some way, shape, right? Or but I've heard you can't really do that. Anymore. Well, well yeah. so yeah, so that's the thing is that um, you know, they, they caught on to that, so you can't really do it anymore. They can tell if you're faking it. But everyone was saying, no, I don't have any biases. Like I'm not a racist. Like everyone was insisting that they were that they would be completely objective. And here I am, like 21 year old me, my first time on jury duty. Now, like, wow, what a bunch of fucking idiots like, <laughs> i'm like wow like they don't know how to they don't know how to cheat the system at all here i am like a young you know 21 years old um and i thought that i knew everything and it turns out that i i do know everything because he goes do you have any prejudice against cab drivers and i said yes and he goes okay well maybe it's best that you don't serve on this trial and Perfect. that was yeah. it and i got released wow really yeah well okay so once so if they determine that you're not fit to serve on that trial they send you back into the giant propaganda room where you can be called to be yeah. heard for another trial but right. i never got called okay i just sat in that room i continued reading and about at 4 30 um a woman named nancy sunshine i'm not joking that her is her actual nancy name. sunshine nancy sunshine comes into the room relieves us of jury duty and we got the letter that said that 
we are good for the next eight years. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh, so it's like an eight. Wow. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a long time. Yeah. Not okay. not long enough, but yeah. So well, that, right. that's jury duty in a nutshell. Oh my god! So I had no idea. In LA, people would call and be like, "I'm sick," or like, "I can't make it today," and they would be like, "Okay, you're fine." Or they call the night before and be like, "Do I need to show up?" And they're like, "No." I've heard that in California, jury duty is once a year. I could be wrong about that. I think you're right. I don't think it's you're relieved for eight years because I know people that like not relieved for eight years. Oh yeah, because I know people that went and then were like the next year they were like, "I got called for jury duty again." Yeah, Yeah. no, I'm clear until 2022. Oh my god, because I served in um, 2014. Wow, I mean, you served. You sound like it's served. the army. I, I mean, I served my country in 2014. I served my country with honor and distinction <laughs> and in 2014. Dignity. Um, dignity. Meanwhile, Edith walks into this kitchen and she's like, "I had the most exciting day." You think this bitch went to Six Flags? And she's like, "I was on jury duty." And you're like, "Oh, right. okay, bitch." And the audience even laughs because they're like, "Oh God, this bitch." Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, she's elated over like the worst experience, the worst fucking thing, and then like Archie, the worst obligation that Americans right. have. And then Archie comes in. She and doesn't he doesn't even hi. care. He like doesn't yeah. care. He wants like, "How was your day, Archie?" And then he like doesn't just reciprocate. He's like, "The tip's such a man. What a man." Yeah. Well, he he walks in. He doesn't say hi. Doesn't greet anyone. And he doesn't wait for her to ask. He just starts speaking about his day. And what he speaks about is how angry he is that someone was inconsiderate enough to commit suicide on, on the, the subway, subway and delay his Which, commute okay, home 30 minutes. Which, okay, to be minutes. fair, like, one time I was taking this the R train and I someone jumped. Like, I, like, didn't see them, but I heard them scream and I heard the noise. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to be late. And I was like, that was my first thought. And then I was like, oh, he just killed himself. That's... Shocking. I, it didn't phase me that much, but I was right. like, wow, I'm really going to be late. And this is before, like, you could get, sub like, service in the subway platform. So I couldn't, like, tell anybody. I was just right. like, oh, I'm fucked. I'm just fucked today. This is a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, well... This so is maybe a, I am yeah. RG Bunker. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, this is also the city where a terrorist attack can happen and everyone's just like, great, now I'm late for work. Right, yeah. People are like, Ugh. I know, when you when you were telling, you were like, you hear a sick passenger and everyone just groans on the subway. Yeah, it's a collective sigh. A right. moment of solidarity where we all groan and we're just like oh someone was inconsiderate enough to get on the subway and then get sick <laughs> so yeah it's we're not saying that this is the right way to uh think it. <laughs> but it is a thought yeah. that crosses your mind yeah exactly um so we so we were talking before the episode right. about how this the plot for this episode was likely heavily influenced by reginald rose's 12 angry men yes i mean the plot is almost exactly the same in terms of you have in 12 angry men 12 angry men is about a 19 year old hispanic boy who is on trial for murder and it's about a jury that almost unanimously agrees that he's guilty except for one juror who holds everyone up and insists that he doesn't he's not convinced that he is guilty it's not that he has any confirmation that the boy didn't do it he just said that there wasn't enough evidence he's not convinced by the evidence that was presented and he sees it as as his goal to convict the boy only if they have proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is guilty so the entire play is about that tension between this one lone juror and 11 others who want to kill him, specifically juror number three, I think his name is, um, who refuses to be swayed. So it's almost exactly the same kind of plot. Right. But they didn't have money to go into the actual, yeah. Right, well, except the only difference is that by the end of 12 Angry Men, 
the lone juror has managed to convince everyone. He's managed to unravel everyone's certainty and he's managed to convince everyone in the room to vote not guilty. And he, you know, he does it through his rhetoric, through right. the way that he persuades them. And Edith doesn't do that. By the end of the but episode... Edith does it through her, like... I think she does it through her, like, perfect American citizenness. Like, she really does yes. it through her innocence in this whole thing. Yeah, Because exactly. it, it really drives the other guy, the taxi driver at the end, to just be like, I did it. Fuck it. I did it. Like, it's exhaustion of, like, wow, she's fucking right. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, well, eventually they, they have proof because the, the, the culprit actually convinces that he did it. Uh, sorry, convinces him, admits that he did it. So at the end, you know, it is proven beyond the shadow of a doubt. They right. get that confirmation. So that's that was kind of the first topic I wanted to discuss is why does that different why does that difference exist? And part of it, like you said, is that Edith is just being the model citizen. Yeah. She does exactly as she is told. And she doesn't do, just do what she's told because we all have to do what we're told. But she does it with happiness and pride. And she right. does it exactly and the way she, that she's expected she sees to. everything exactly the way it is. Like, it's not... Like, if someone says this is a fact, she'll be like, okay, then why isn't this also part of that fact? Like, she'll... she'll She's very just, like, simple in, in terms of, like, okay, well, you told me this, so, like, everything of that must be true. It's like when... Uh, what's her name? Alma Stonehurst. The Stonehurst. worst name. Yeah, yeah, you were like, this is the worst name anyone. I don't know if her name was actually Alma, but her oh, name was okay. Mrs. Stonehurst. Mrs. Stonehurst was like, well, you can't trust them. They're all liars. All Puerto Ricans are liars. And they all look the same. And then she she's says. like, well, then how can you trust the neighbor who was also Puerto Rican is what Eve says. And yeah, it's like, exactly. You give her a fact and she uses that fact for everything. And it's like, well... You can't blame she her. To, she is very, and she uses it to, to her advantage in this episode. Yeah, exactly. And what it will, it's funny that you, you brought up the word simple. You know, she is so simple that she takes everything at face value. And part of what I noticed is that this episode um, kind of blurs the line that separates igno ignorance and intelligence. It's like the intersection in which the right, two of them yeah. meet because her ignorance is power here. Her ignorance is intelligence. Her ignorance yes. allows her to be the one person who can make a rational decision. And right. this rational decision saves someone's life. Right. So her ignorance in this case affords her the strength that she needs to hold out and the wherewithal to save a person's life and to, um, to hold out. Basically. Right. And also, also it's like, uh, uh, when you do jury duty, it's like, have you, do you have any biases? Do you have any biases? Clearly Mrs. Stonehurst yeah. walked in with a bias that she didn't, particularly say was a bias right so I mean, she she was like juror number three right. in this episode and edith is juror number eight um but you know what's interesting is that the play is called 12 angry men which is which is such a universal title yes. i mean 12 angry men um but in this episode it's two women who are who are the one, really the ones yeah. and she's also an interesting character she's the first character that we've seen on the show up to this point because it's only episode eight that is a racist Yes. It's usually it's Archie right. that is and is is that person, but now you see it on the other end, and right. you're like, oh, there's another person that is also the same, exactly you know, kind of thing. And what's interesting is that in Twelve Angry Men, the jurors don't have names. It's juror one, juror two, okay. juror three. So as a result, they're not afforded any kind of identity. We don't really learn much about them other than what they say in that room. Mm -hmm. We don't know much about their backstory, where they come from. So I find it interesting how in this episode, the backstory of juror number three, who is Mrs. Stonehurst, is you know, she has snobby. A chef. Yeah. yeah, she has her own personal chef. She's a snobby, affluent, hyper-privileged 
Um, right. She just needs to get home so her chef can cook her more food. Exactly. Like, she couldn't care less whether this person that she is uses. convicted or yeah. not. Even if the person, even if the defendant were found not guilty, she doesn't care. She just doesn't want to be bothered. Right. And that's like, and I mean, is the show kind of arguing a case for the 1984 like video where it's like maybe you should do jury duty in like a, you know, as like a way of serving your country in a positive way. Yeah, and it kind of does make a case for that. Like in a way, I mean, it definitely. You look, if I were selected to be on a jury for a murder trial, then that's something that I would obviously take seriously. I, right. I don't know if I would consider it an honor and a privilege to serve. No, but but, but it is something I would be honest yeah. about. I wouldn't be flippant and say like. But I oh. think most people are, and I think the episode argues like maybe you shouldn't be. Maybe you're like you know you're really there are lives at stake. You know. Yeah. So I, you know, yeah, I found that I found that really interesting. Those, those subtle differences between the play and the episode, and I mean, again, this is assuming that Norman Lear was writing under the influence of the play, but it's hard to ignore the parallels. Well, right. Regardless. I mean, Blackish did an episode that was li- like this, and I don't know if it was either. <laughs> that's the, is, I don't know if that Blackish episode was inspired by this episode or if it was inspired by Twelve Angry Men or both. But it was he was the only black juror. Yeah. And it was a it was a case about a black kid that like they say committed a crime, and he's like adamant that the kid did not commit the crime because he has a reasonable doubt. And then eventually he starts like convincing people, and and he wins the case. I mean, he doesn't he convinces everybody, but like it was definitely more Twelve Angry Men than this was. And I'm glad, but, that, yeah, and I'm yeah. glad that you bring that up too because I I, I do want to return to that moment where. So again, Edith doesn't manage to convince anyone. It's just proven eventually. Yeah. So everyone realizes that she's right, but not through her own persuasion skills, right. which I find interesting because on one hand, um, I-, I figured maybe it's because she just lacks the vocabulary necessary I to articulate her maybe case. Maybe that, yeah. I think that's definitely a possibility. I mean, again, I also think that for practicality's sake, she needs to be proven beyond the shadow of a doubt because if the episode ended with her convincing the jury, then one, we know how Archie would have reacted. Archie would have reacted um, invalidating whatever her case was. Um, And we might have even as well, we might not know if Edith was actually correct. Right. Um, And that's, you know, 12 Angry Men leaves us wondering if that juror was correct. Because the juror himself, juror number eight, who convinces everyone to... um, to deem him not guilty juror number eight is saying look i'm not saying that he definitely didn't do it i'm just saying that i'm not convinced with the evidence presented at trial right and so so you don't know at the end yes so well i think it was important in this episode for you to know because exactly it's a it's a it's maybe it's edith's first episode of like her real like episode and so you needed because i think up to this point it was like she's dumb she's dumb she's dumb and then it's like no she's smart she knows what she's talking about she, I think it was trying to uh, character, like deepen her character and add nuance to it in a way of like, you think she's dumb, but she is, you think she's ignorant or whatever, but it's, it's, she's, she's just innocent is what she is. It was trying to add like a shade of gray in there, which was interesting. Exactly. And I mean, like we've discussed in the last couple of episodes, this show is entirely about the gray zone. It's entirely about that shade of gray. Yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey with Edith Bunker. Starring Edith Bunker and Archie. Archie. Oh, Archie. Oh, Archie. (laughs) I feel like she would be the one that's really into BDSM because I feel like he'd be too much of a pussy to do it. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I'm so just right, saying. Yeah, well, it's funny because earlier today I was watching an episode of Roseanne where Roseanne's mother, um, Beverly, who's just this obnoxious, annoying old shrew whom Roseanne resents for subscribing to everything that women were taught about the way they are supposed to behave mm-hmm. in like the 1930s, 40s, 50s. And there's a moment, you know, after her husband leaves or after her husband dies where the mother starts dating a guy and they try having sex for the first time and the mom falls and like breaks her hip or something like that. So the mom is like, I'm never going to have sex again. You know, lovemaking is for men and it's not, it's not for women. And Roseanne has to kind of sit there and, um, you know, convince her like, no, sex can really be for women as well. (laughs) You were just taught that you're not supposed to enjoy sex. And if you embrace it a little bit more, then maybe you would like it. So, you know, and I think that goes back to, Edith's power over here. You know, it's you said that it's she's innocent and that innocence affords her power and agency in this episode, but it also proves to us that she has the potential to be smart insofar right. as she has the potential. But, I, but society has not allowed her to be because she needs her to husband. get home. Right. Yeah, because she needs to get home and make a sandwich and, and some coffee for her husband. Like, it literally, as soon as she walks in from weeks of being away, Archie is like, Edith, make me a sandwich and some coffee. And she's like, right away, Archie. Like, yeah, exactly. It's, like, absurd. But, like, it is, like, a fact of, like, the way, you know, she needed to be in that time period, which is crazy. When I was growing up, like, I would go to Greece every summer, and, like, that dynamic was still very much intact, where, like, the women had to do everything. Like, it was, like, we'd have lunch at, like, two or whatever, and all the women, like, it was, like, my dad's best friend, and he had his wife and his two daughters, and they would make lunch and do everything and put everything on the table, and they would clean up. I would, because, like, I'm a little American kid, I would, like, start cleaning up and be, like, I'll put the dishes in the sink, like, I'll help you out. And my, my dad's friend was, like, no, that's for women to do. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm nine years old, so you're going to have to calm it down with that. And then as I got older, I was like, I mean, I, I'm like, like, I need to help, but I, I can't do that. It was strange. It was right. a strange thing. And I, I find that with like a lot of my relatives and my family members of like that, they have to do that. And if they like my, my mom leaving, even my mom she went to Greece for like a long trip one time and it was a big deal in our house because I have two older brothers and my dad. It was a big fucking deal. Like we were panicking. We were like, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to do everything? And I was like, we'll get by. Like I'll make food. We can order food. We can go out. Like we can do the laundry. It's not that hard. But like all both my brothers and my dad were just in a panic. And I was like, oh, that is just exhausting Christ, to watch. Yeah. No, yeah. That's not something. That's not a way. And that was Archie. And I love the I love the neighbor that comes in with a top oven issue. She's just like my my bottom oven was was in a fun fire, so I had to use my top oven. And she even says like exactly what Archie was gonna feel in about four seconds. She was like, "Well, when you're really used to something and then it doesn't go your way, you get really disrupted by it." And he was like, "Ugh, whatever." And then literally Edith's like, "I'm gonna be in a hotel for three weeks," and he's like, "What?" And he's like completely derailed by it. Yeah, there's the thesis statement of that episode yeah. right there. Clara, the, this this um, minor character, exists purely to make that statement and purely to foreground the argument of the episode. Right. Yeah. Which I found really funny, and she, you know, she comes in, and again, the the fact that her friend Edith, her neighbor Edith, is going on jury duty is such a big deal. She's like, "What an honor! This is right. so exciting." So because she see, has the same mindset too. Exactly. Yeah. The most exciting thing about her day was a top oven. So it's like, yeah. And, you know, and this brings me to another question. So we were talking earlier about Edith 
taking everything at face value and being the model citizen and her rational approach to what the judge tells her to do, what Archie tells her to do. And it's that rationality and that objectivity that allow her to make a decision that saves someone's life. So we said that that's like a nugget of power, a nugget of autonomy that she's exercised so far in this series. But you know, I also I also wrote when in the beginning of the episode, Archie is really insulted that she won't tell him about the case because she's like, I've been told that I'm not allowed to. And he goes, he goes, I've told you secrets. Like we're husband and wife. We're supposed we're supposed to tell each other yeah, everything. And it's almost like yeah, in a way that she betrays her husband in favor of the law. And I'm like, hmm, on one hand, that's really subversive. That's really rebellious of her. But then on the other hand, is this just proof that Edith does what she's told without questioning? I think it is a little bit. I think it's more. Uh, I think it's more subversive because he even tells her, "Call them up and say I'm sick," and she sits down and is like, "Nope, I'm not doing that." And Gloria's like, "Aren't you? Are you really gonna bring his bed in? In like his bed and like the the tray upstairs?" And she's like. No, I'm gonna be in jury duty. It very. It, I think it was more subversive. I think it was her act of rebellion. Right. Really. And it, that, that's also true because she's so excited to be on jury duty. She doesn't want to do anything that could jeopardize her right. opportunity to serve on such a big trial. Right. So it's understandable that she would. I think even want if it to... wasn't a big trial, she'd still be like amped. You know. Exactly. She'd still do it. Exactly. Um, and I, I just find it interesting. Like the. I think the kind of the argument of the episode because like mike and gloria don't do much in this episode at all it really is like mrs stonehurst and archie and the, i mean the things they say that like all puerto ricans look alike it's a closed case they're born liars how can you like you know it really is like arguing like maybe you should fight crime with love or like at least like a little bit of like you know open-mindedness instead of you know being so close-minded and hateful towards everybody exactly. that kind of is the you know argument yeah. it's making here of like fight f fight hate with love and yeah and maybe that's the world would be a better place that, yeah that's similar to the commentary that 12 angry men makes as well because 12 angry men the plot and the entire argument are framed by racism and right. bias and prejudice. And you realize, you know, in the very beginning, everyone, ex with the exception of juror number eight, is so convinced that this young boy, this 19-year-old boy is guilty. Like, beyond the shadow of a doubt, they're all ready to, and they all insist, like, we have so much evidence. Like, how can you say that he's not guilty? And then as the play goes on, you realize that the evidence was not only flimsy, but that their convictions of this boy are based on racism yeah, and prejudice exactly. and bias. So, no, he wasn't guilty. Uh, he, he wasn't guilty beyond the shadow of a doubt. If anything... That um, that certainty that everyone else thought they had was informed almost purely by their preconceived notions. Right, and I think Edith's predisposition is to just trust everybody, and then if they prove themselves like not trustworthy, then she would not trust them. Right, and you have to determine what to trust people with. I mean, you right, know, if exactly. I, if, right, you know, if I tell someone a personal detail about me, and I say, you know, don't tell anyone. Okay, they might tell someone, and it'll suck, and I'll be like, great, well, I know not to trust that person anymore. But if it's something like, uh, you know, you're going to determine whether I live or die, and oh, and that's another. Well, really, that's the yeah, thing. Yeah, and that's another really important point of this it's episode. Weighty. I think. I mean, the people really like these, like Mrs. Stonehurst, especially, was just like, I want to go home. Like, it really came to, like, I want to go home so my chef can cook for me. That, like, selfishness of, like, well, maybe if you uh, thought about this a little bit more, 
yeah. get home earlier. Meanwhile, like, she's still being served. Like right. it's not like she's been thrown into this hotel where she has to cook for herself. Like right, she's exactly. still being served, but she wants her chef to cook for right, her. Right, exactly. Part of the reason that the stakes are so high is because Actually, no, I don't know if the episode makes it clear that this person is on trial for capital punishment. They bring up capital punishment right. earlier in the episode. Because Which, do you Archie, believe in capital Archie, punishment? Well, Archie talks about... Um, he, you know, Archie talks about his experience with jury duty, and he was dismissed because he said that he spoke for 30 minutes about why he believes that capital oh, punishment, yeah. why he supports capital punishment. So, you know, there's the one political issue that they had to sneak into of the Of course episode. they do. Oh, I mean, course. every episode is inherently political. Right. Everything is political. Right. But um, that that's like the heavy-handed yeah. discussion or address that they needed to um, make about that political issue. And, and then, then Mike's, Mike's argument. Yeah, and Mike's argument is, though, you can't fight an eye for an eye, which... Do you believe in capital punishment? I do. Okay. I, you know, I do, um, and I know that's not very liberal. I do, and I don't. Say. Yeah. I mean, it's... if someone has killed like so, like if someone's killed like a thousand people, like yeah, you know what I mean. There's, it you really know, is mean, a case it's... by case for me. Well, you know what it is. The argument that I've heard on the other side, and I don't think that capital punishment should be administered like you're giving away lollipops, of course. And I no. and I do agree with what Mike says that society for the most part creates these criminals and you know rehabilitation is is more necessary than just killing someone i agree with that however i also like you know the argument that i've heard constantly is that like well if someone is a murderer like shouldn't you shouldn't you try to rehabilitate them instead of just killing them and i'm sorry like i that that presupposes that everyone who kills like has some kind of mental illness and when you know and i'm right. teaching the laramie project now to my students and the Laramie Project is about it's, it's about it explores the aftermath of the Matthew Shepard murder, and Matthew Shepard's parents had the option of pursuing the death penalty for the two people who killed their son, and they chose not to, which I think is incredibly courageous. And I don't know if I would have the strength to make that decision. Yeah. I mean, the dad says to one of them, the dad makes this incredibly poignant speech at the end, and he says to one of them, um, to Aaron, who is kind of the the brains behind the operation. He says, I would love nothing more than to see you die. Are we, like, I, first of all, I can't fault him for wanting right. the person who killed his son to die. And also, no. I don't think that Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson were mentally ill. I don't think that there's rehabilitation necessary. I think they were bigots. I think what they did was despicable. Right. I think there's some frankly, people that it's like it goes way past just like mental. I mean, you can't blame mental illness on everything because... Well, I mean, the problem is, is like, what if it's in America, if it's like when they're Arabic, they're terrorists. And then when they're not Arabic, it's like they're mentally ill. And it's like, well, that's fucking wrong. So, okay. Um, I do believe in it, too, to a certain extent of like, yeah, there's some people you can't really like, I'm sorry, but like Manson should have been should have probably like that's capital punishment for me. He should have been murdered. Like, I'm sorry. The fact that he was in jail for so long was like, really, dude? Right. Well, Dylan Roof, when Dylan Roof was sentenced to um, to death, I didn't hear a single liberal complaint. Like, I did not hear... Right. I, didn't, I, didn't, I did not hear a single person say, like, this is unjust, this is immoral, this is wrong. Like, because... Because sometimes you're like, oh, fuck, you know? It's complicated. Yeah. You no, know, it is. It's definitely much it's, more nuanced. But and I... And I, you know, I do kind of believe in it. I'm sorry, I do. Look, I believe in it too. And look, again, I, you know, I've heard many arguments about why, you know, like, well, there have been innocent people on death row. And yes, that's a problem. I, I, but I think the problem there lies more with the way that person was convicted and the way that decision was made rather than the right. punishment itself. 
And, and I think, I mean, I think, yeah, well, and then at the end, then you have to really think about, like, well, it, we should all go into jury duty with the predisposition to be like, I'm going to be earnest about this. I'm going to try and fight the good fight for this person no matter what, or, like, not fight the good fight, or, like, really be, like, open-minded towards everything instead of just being like, well, he did it. Open, right. closed. Done. And I'm sure that I many, have to go home. Yeah, and I'm sure that many people do, but, you know, what we learned from 12 Angry Men and what we learned from an episode like this is that it's very difficult for people to leave their emotions and for people to leave their biases and right, for people absolutely. To, leave, to leave those ideas at the door. Of course. Again, you know, 12 Angry Men, it appears in the, in the opening pages of the play that everyone has made a decision based on, almost everyone has made a decision based on irrefutable evidence. But again, as the play unfolds, you realize that the evidence is not irrefutable and yeah. that people didn't think it through and that this decision is tinged with all kinds of subjectivity. Yeah. I mean, same thing with this episode too. It's like you think Archie and, and Mike say like, cl open close and then you get into the hotel room is Stonehurst. It's like all Puerto Ricans look alike so I wouldn't fucking know and it's like, Ugh, girl, you know? Yeah. Same thing. There was a Black Mirror episode that was really interesting about, um, about not capital punishment but it was about a similar thing of like, you're, you're following, this character wakes up without any memory of her life. She has no memory and she, she starts getting chased by people that are trying to kill her. And meanwhile, there are people all around her filming and just not saying anything, but they're just filming it. And she's just like really confused and she starts running around and then like eventually like they, they like try and get her, they try to kill her, she keeps escaping. And then like you reach a point where like she's about to like either die or like get saved and they like flip it and there's an audience watching her. And then you find out this character you've been following that's being chased that you kind of have grown to be like, oh, is she going to survive? I want her to survive. You find out her and her husband kidnapped a girl, killed her and filmed it. And she was the one filming it. And so her punishment is to like basically relive what she did to that little girl for the oh rest God. of her life. So every night they black out her memory and they wake, they, they set up a, a whole stage essentially like around her and she goes through the same steps every night and people try to kill her every single day. And then at the end they black out her memory again and then she goes through it all over again and it's her form of punishment. And it's cruel because, well, for me it's cruel because it's like I've grown to love this character and now you're telling me she's a murderer who like filmed a, like a little girl's death. So it was like such a switch and you're like, wow, is this the... Because then you start questioning, like, is this the right thing to do? Is this not the right thing to do? I don't know. Wow. It's a really interesting episode, and it really is, like, about kind of, like, you know, the complicated nature of capital punishment. That's so interesting. Yeah. You know, it's right... Well, right now with my AP language students, we're learning how to write the argument essay of the AP exam, which always wrestles with some kind of loaded uh, philosophical or ethical issue. And I'm trying to teach them to recognize the complexity of every single question. Because, right. Well, one one that we're looking at right now and that we've been examining through the lens of Othello is um, the relationship between certainty and doubt. The line that separates the two of them. How sharp is that line? And oh, it's interesting. I actually just might use this episode. It's a it's to, a great and it's, it's to teach yeah, my students. It's pretty interesting. I mean, it really really flips it at the end. I really want to know. I would really have. I would have loved to see an an episode of All in the Family that was OJ. Oh, like wow. that would have yeah. been great because there's so much at play there. I mean, that would have been a really good episode of All in the Family. <laughs> like, 
damn. But well, well you know, this full, is as good as it gets. Full House did a reboot. Roseanne did a reboot. Now let's just bring let's all, just bring of them all the family back. back. With that like would all be the a great actors reboot. who are dead. <laughs> right. Well, Rob Reiner, Rob Reiner and Sally Struthers are still alive. They're still alive. It'd be funny if, well, because they're too old to even play Archie and Edith. It'd be funny if they were Archie and Edith, but they're probably too old to play Archie and Edith. Yeah. They're they're old now. Um, yeah. Okay. Wait. Fun question for you. Okay. Because Archie loves his Twinkies, which is something they introduce in this episode that becomes a running thing throughout the series. What's your favorite hostess treat? <laughs> I, I really don't like any of them. Do you my, really not? I really don't know. My, my family brought me up to despise like anything packaged and fast food. And I mean, that's huh. not true today. Like I, I you know, I mean, I my do, family like, kind of did the same thing, but you know, I like, found I my still, way. I was yeah, a little fat kid. Yeah. Exactly. I found my way. Exactly. I still like, you know, my fast food and I still like my packaged treats, but I've also never been much of a sweets guy, so I'm, okay. so, I'm sorry. It's, That's such a disappointing thing. I was, I was so excited to ask you. a really, really productive conversation about Damn it. Like, what, what kind of hostess treat that I like. Um, I love those cupcakes with those swirl, the white swirl in the middle. Okay, I do kind of like and those. I would I had a specific way of eating them too. I, I would bite like the ones, the one side and then the one, the other side and oh, have I the middle side. Going in the middle and just because all the cream was in the middle too so i'd have like the white frosting on the top and the cream and it was like the perfect bite and this is how you knew you were gay that's how i knew i was gay i just wanted i wanted to get to the middle of the cream i was meticulous with my captain crunch with crunch berries i would eat the captain crunch first save the crunch berries last like swirl it around in the milk to color i did the same thing with lucky charms and then i would yeah yeah i would do the same thing with lucky charms as well and my mom thought i was obsessive compulsive and Turns out I was I, compulsive, yeah. <laughs> and then I was in therapy for years. No, I'm kidding. I was but, actually. I'm not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like I'm kidding. No, I'm not. Uh, anyway, thank you for joining me. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about uh, Archie being worried about his job. Huh. I don't know it's if I remember this episode. It's an interesting episode. Okay. And then the next one after that is the feminism one, which I'm so excited. Oh about. boy, that'll Yay. be fun. Thanks for joining us. This has been all on the podcast. All in the Family was recorded on tape before a live audience.